Well, good morning, Mosaic. Hey, my name is Joel. I'm one of the teaching pastors here, and uh, I'm excited to be with you guys. What do you guys think about this VBS stage? It's pretty awesome, right? It's pretty amazing. The uh, children's ministry team's been working very, very hard, um, and I think they have my spirit animal here. Uh, it's a very skinny lizard with big ears, and it kind of like runs like this. You ever seen that on, uh, on the Discovery Channel? You're like, how is he holding his body so still, and his legs are moving so quickly? Well, I'll be pacing back and forth today, and it'll be a lot of fun. We also have Renaud, our lead pastor. His spirit animal is over there. He's tall. Uh, but we're, uh, we're excited today. God has already uh, just been doing great things this weekend, and I uh, just want to say, uh, man, I'm so excited to be sharing God's Word with you uh, this morning. We've been in the book of Acts over the last uh, several months, and uh, it's been a really amazing journey for us to see what God is doing as he's unfolding his story in human history. Uh, we know that God created heaven and earth. He created all that we see, and he created us in his image uh, to be like him and to display who he is uh, to this planet. And yet, uh, rather than desiring to image uh, God, we wanted to image ourselves uh, and so we rebelled against God. We disobeyed uh, the one command that he gave us, not to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And we brought sin into the world. And the storyline of the Bible continues as God chases after humanity uh, through the people of Israel and uh, through their story. And, and ultimately, uh, the greatest story, bringing Jesus uh, to the planet to live uh, a perfect life uh, to die the death that really we deserved to die. Uh, he chose to die for us in our place. Uh, but we know that Jesus didn't stay dead. And this is what is the most amazing thing uh, about what we come to celebrate every week. Uh, the, 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 the songs that we're singing, uh, the, the things that, that we believe and profess uh, would be worthless without this truth that Jesus didn't stay dead. But instead, on the third day after being crucified, he rose again to new life. Uh, and, and man, that is the hope that we have. That is the salvation that we have is in the truth of the good news of who Jesus is. And we pick up the book of Acts as Jesus, uh, who has risen from the dead, hands over the mission of God to the church, to his followers, uh, to the disciples, to the people uh, who were walking uh, their lives out for Jesus and on his mission. He hands this huge uh, mission and goal over to them and says, I want you to be my witnesses all over this planet, first in Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, and the, then the ends of the earth. I want you to go and tell everybody that I am alive and I came to rescue you. And that word witnesses is a very interesting word. Uh, Acts 1 verse 8, we learned uh, in the very beginning of our time in the book of Acts that that word is, is uh, in Greek what we would have in English for the, the word martyr. Uh, so it's kind of a, a big deal and there's a lot of responsibility and a lot of weight that comes with being a, a witness for Christ. And we see the early church, the, the, the story unfolding in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, that God was doing great things and unfolding his story of redemption to the planet through the early church. And we pick up uh, the story of this man named Saul. 
And Saul, uh, he was one of the, the Jewish uh, teachers of the law. Uh, if anyone should have recognized uh, the coming of Jesus, it should have been him. And yet he saw Jesus as an enemy of God rather than God himself. And he began to unleash a, a persecution against the early church. And in fact, the very first martyr, the very first witness who was killed uh, for, for telling about Jesus, his name was Stephen, and Saul was instrumental in his death. And we follow the story of Saul as he continues to take uh, the, the persecution uh, against the church to bigger levels. He was throwing women and children in, and families into prison. And on his way to Damascus, as he was getting ready to continue to unleash persecution on the church in the city of Damascus, Jesus shows up. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And in that moment, uh, Saul realized that he was on the wrong team. And he decided, uh, as, as God gave him the grace, to put his trust and faith that Jesus was truly the Messiah. And, and Saul's life was forever changed. Uh, he goes into uh, to, uh, the first three days of his Christian experience, uh, learning, the Bible records, Jesus says that, that he must learn how much he will suffer for my name's sake. Now, you won't read that in a Joel Osteen book, but that was the first three days of Paul's Christianity. The first three days. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show him how much he must, not might, not may, must suffer for my name. And so Saul uh, becomes Paul, and he begins to live out uh, the faith uh, that, that Jesus had given him, live out the mission that Jesus had given him, and begin to share the good news of who Jesus is everywhere he went. And we pick up the story in the book of Acts uh, in this city called Antioch. And in Antioch, there were some new believers that had kind of risen up and a church was planted there. And the, uh, the apostles, the first followers of Jesus in Jerusalem, sent out this man named Barnabas, who was a, a mature man, full of faith, and uh, had a lot of wisdom and just, just knew God. And they sent Barnabas out to Antioch to make disciples there. And as Barnabas showed up, he said, you know what, we need, we need Paul. Because Paul is someone who has a deep understanding of, of the scriptures, the Jewish scriptures, and he has a deep reality and, and an understanding. He has a grip on the reality of Jesus being raised from the dead. So we're going to grab uh, him from, from Tarsus, where he was staying, and we're going to have him in Antioch. And they remain there for about a year, teaching and preaching and making disciples in Antioch. And at one point, the scripture uh, in Acts de uh, describes that they were praying and they were fasting and they were just looking to hear the Lord and God spoke to them and said, I want you to set aside Barnabas and, and Paul for the work of the ministry, and I want you to send them out. Now, I can imagine the church of Antioch in that moment probably would have been like, man, come on, like these are our best people. Uh, a few weeks ago, if you were here, you saw uh, us pray for Sean and Marlena Starbuck. Uh, that Sean is, is currently still our worship pastor here at Mosaic, uh, but he's moved to Tennessee. He's going to be with us about two weekends a month. He'll be here for 10 days a month, and then he'll be in Tennessee working on songwriting. And, and uh, he and his wife Marlena really have a desire to step into the lives of Marlena's family and be present with them. And that moment when, when you are sending a Sean Starbuck out, it's like, we're excited, but we'll miss you, you know? And, and 
Paul and Barnabas, as they're going out from Antioch on their first missionary journey, I'm sure that that experience was, was there. Like maybe you've experienced someone in, in your family who's moving away and you're excited for them, but you know you're gonna miss them. That must have been what the church was experiencing uh, during that time. And as Paul and Barnabas go out on their missionary journey, they go through the region of Galatia. And, you know, I don't know about you, but if you've ever gone on a mission trip, uh, when you go, you're really excited about it. You're not even sure what you're excited about uh, because maybe you've never been to this country, you've never eaten this kind of food, you never maybe had conversations with people who speak that language, or, or perhaps it's, it's, you know, a cultural, complete cultural difference. But you're excited about it, and you're not even sure exactly what you're excited about, but then you actually get there, and it's kind of like, well, this is hard. And you're like, uh, you speak Swahili. This is going to be a lot of fun, you know? And you're talking through a translator, and it's hard, and, and, and you know, communication is difficult. And you're do, like pantomiming things, and it's a lot of fun. But Paul and Barnabas, as they go through the region of Galatia, they experience actually some really difficult things. And often they would go into a city and they would, uh, you know, go to a place like Iconium and they would see, uh, in the beginning, they would start to see some fruit and some positive reaction to the good news that they were sharing. And then all of a sudden something crazy would happen and the Jewish people would rise up and threaten to kill them, which is a little bit of a, a setback, you know? Like you're in there, you're like doing ministry and all of a sudden you're about to die because these people are super angry at you for what you're sharing. It's a little bit of a setback. And what we see in the journey of, of Paul and Barnabas through Galatia, uh, and if you've missed the last few weeks, you can podcast because we jump into each city uh, through those messages. But you just see this pattern unfolding in the, early, uh, in, the, in the early ministry of Paul and Barnabas. You see this pattern unfolding of like these two steps forward and one step back. And that, that becomes the, the pattern of mission uh, that we see is this two-step forward, one-step back uh, missional life. I want you guys to grab your Bibles. We're going to turn to Acts chapter 14 because what happens is Paul and Barnabas, they begin to uh, go back to Antioch. They finished the work uh, that, they, that they were sent out to do in the region of Galatia. And so they're getting ready to go back to Antioch. And it's interesting because if you look at the geographical path that they took, uh, there was a much easier route to go back to Antioch from where they were. In fact, that route would have gone through Tarsus, where Paul was from. So he could have gone, gotten some R&R, &R, you know, hit the spa, got a massage, all of that. But instead, instead of going through his hometown, going a, a, a much easier route, Paul and Barnabas decide to go back through the cities that they had gone through, gone through during their missionary journey and continue to, to strengthen dis disciples there and continue to preach the gospel as they go. So we're going to go to Acts chapter 14. If you're in the Mosaic Bibles, it's uh, beautiful blue here. It's on page 600, Acts chapter 14. If you don't have a good Bible at home, we'd love for you to take this, take it home, put your name in it, uh, read it. We're really, really big fans of the author. Acts chapter 14, uh, verse 24 says, Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Attilia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that, ha that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained there no little time with the disciples. 
Now, as Paul and Barnabas are making their journey back uh, through these cities and ending back up in Antioch, you know, a lot of times I like to kind of like place myself into the story. Um, It's so easy to read the Bible and just kind of read it as a matter of fact. But I love to place myself in the story and ask the question, you know, how might I react uh, to these circumstances? What might I have done in in these uh, circumstances? And I think to myself, you know, if I had gone on a missionary journey, And that missionary journey uh, was really hard and I experienced a lot of difficulty and hardship. What would I have done in reaction? We we have to understand that the last place we were at with with Paul was the city of Lystra, where uh, some Jews who were stirring up trouble from Iconium basically hunted Paul down, found him in Lystra, and stoned him to near death. Stoned. I, I don't know if you can think of any worse ways to be beaten, but stoned to death. Right? And Paul and Barnabas, they go back. Now, if it were me, and I show back up in Antioch, and I still have the bruises and the scars and, and from, from being stoned, if, if Mosaic sent me out on a mission trip, and I had gotten stoned, I would be coming back and filing some workman's compensation paperwork. <laughs> you guys know what I'm talking about? Like I would be on my way back and, and you would hear the stories, but it would be about how I got bludgeoned with rocks to the point of death and then the believers had to pray for me so that I would live. Like that would be what I would be talking about. I don't know about you, but I know what I would say because it's kind of like a little bit like, uh, I want you to feel sorry for me and I want you to think I'm awesome, right? Like it's like kind of that mix of both. But what's so interesting to me about Paul and Barnabas is as they step back into Antioch, what is it that they are talking about? Verse 27, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. See, as Paul and Barnabas go back, they're not talking about how hard it was. They're not talking about how the Jews went and stirred up so much persecution against them and hunted them down from Iconium to Lystra to stone them to death. They're not talking about the Gentiles who, who were so fickle. One moment, uh, they respond with joy at the hearing of the gospel. And then the next moment, they're trying to call uh, you know, Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes and sacrifice oxen to them and like put up garland in the city. They're not talking about the, the Jews and, 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 and their, their persecution and the, the fickleness of the Gentiles. They're not talking about all of the, the steps backward that were taken in the mission that they were that they were uh, living out in Galatia. No. Now, what did they focus on? They focused on all that God had done with them and that God had opened a door for the Gentiles, a door of faith. I don't know about, about you, but I, I know in, in my life, um, you know, when I experience um, hardship, when I experience difficulty, when I experience some, some tough things, my tendency is to focus on those things. If you're married here, you have a significant other, you know, your husband, your wife, they go to work, and when they come back, what do they talk about, right? The frustrations, right? <clears throat> I can't believe Matt. He's always trying to usurp my authority. I can't believe him. Like every time, like he's supposed to request vacation days from me, but he just goes to my boss and I don't even know he's on vacation. 
And all of a sudden, he's just out in Maui, and I'm doing all the work. You know, like we, we tend to focus on the frustrations. Man, my boss, man, my boss, I can't believe him. He's so tall. He's six foot seven. And he says available with a D. Available. And I, and when I look at him, sometimes I can see some stuff in his nose. And it's just, it's a frustration. It's a frustration, you know. We tend as human beings to, to look at life through the lens of our frustrations. We tend as human beings to look at life and we may have a thousand things going right, but it's the things that go wrong that frustrate us. And, and here's the crazy thing about it is that the things that go wrong, often sometimes when it rains, it pours, you know what I mean? And so we feel like we have a lot of like, uh, you know, material to talk about. My girlfriend, she drives a Subaru and uh, first of all, she started noticing her tire pressure was off and she was getting less gas mileage. There was a sensor that was bad in the tire and, you know, so we, you know, had to, had to work that out. And then, then she was having transmission problems. Uh, the, the check oil light came on, uh, or the at oil temp light came on, which is actually a transmission problem, not an engine problem. Who knew? I'm not the manliest. So <laughs> it was a transmission problem. She has to spend all this money to get that worked on. Then uh, she, she has this shift lock release issue. So that means like uh, she, has to, she has to put the key into the shift lock release, move it into neutral, turn the car on, move it into drive, and go. So it's a struggle and it's annoying. And I'm like, hey, why don't you put a screwdriver there? And she's like, it'll be ghetto looking. I'm like, okay. So then, then if that wasn't enough, we're in the public's parking lot and uh, we're finishing up a conversation. I was driving her car. We're finishing up a conversation. We're parked. And this poor bag boy, 16 years old, gets off his shift and he's, uh, he's pulling out. And all of a sudden I'm like, he's not stopping. He's not stopping. So I lay on the horn, like as loudly as I possibly can, just lay on the horn. He's like got Jay-Z turned up real loud. <laughs> so he doesn't hear anything. I'm like, he's not gonna stop. So then I think, oh, I know. I'll put it in reverse and back up. But wait, the shift lock release. Oh, bummer. So I just keep laying on the horn. And of course he runs into us. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, this poor girl, like nothing is going right with her car. But actually quite a bit is going right. It starts when she turns the key. It moves forward and backward with a little help. <laughs> the tires stay on and don't fall off. When she presses the brake, the vehicle stops. Even, the to the, even though the transmission is having issues, it's still shifting from gear to gear, up and down. The window wipers work, the lights work. The interior lights work, the windows work. Do you guys see what I'm saying? All sorts of things are working in this car and it's getting her from point A to point B. Maybe there's some transmission issues. Maybe she's got a little ding on the uh, bumper from poor little grocery boy. He's 16. It's a rough way to start your driving career. You know what I'm saying? Funniest thing in the world, cop comes and, is, and the cop is like, you don't have any tickets, right? And his dad is there at this point and his dad's like, no. And then the boy goes, yes. <laughs> this is not a lie. I, it, was, it was in the moment, I didn't know what to say, so I just went, ooh, drama. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, those are the words that came out, and then I just felt bad for this little guy, you know? He was so nice, too. It was just poor, it was a rough day at the office for him. And you know, the crazy thing is about our lives is we, we don't focus often on the things that are going right. 
we don't focus so often on the, on the steps forward. We focus on the steps back. Maybe you've been walking with Jesus for, for some time and, and, you know, if you look back 10 or 15 years, man, you look back and you're like, man, I'm a very, very different person today than I used to be. But then you, you know, chew your husband's head off because he didn't take out the trash again and you realize, man, I still have a long way to go. And, and so often we just focus on that step back that we take rather than recognizing, man, God, you've done a great work in me. How might I have reacted 15 years ago to this same issue? And with Paul and Barnabas, what strikes me is that they come back and rather than talking about all the steps back and the difficulty they have and the fact that they got bludgeoned with stones, I mean, for real, think about that. Like if I came back, my slideshow would be like, look how sharp the rocks were. They were pointy. They weren't smooth. But they didn't talk about that at all. What did they talk about? They talked about all that God had done and the fact that God opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. That's all they cared to talk about. And I think that there's something there with these apostles. There, there's something that maybe they understood that, that we could perhaps learn from, that we could perhaps gain some understanding from so that as we live out our lives of mission, as we are the witnesses now, because those guys are dead and gone, but here we are. You are now the witnesses of Jesus in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And for those of you who think the world revolves around America, it doesn't. And this is the ends of the earth. Here we are, the witnesses And as Jesus unfolds this mission to us in 2014 here in Oakland, Florida, I think there's something that we can grab from, from Paul and Barnabas and their report to the church in Antioch. I think they understood some things that perhaps we can learn from. Let's, let's, read, let's, let's read a little bit of insight that we have into Paul. I want you guys to go to Romans Romans chapter 8, and uh, at the Mosaic Bibles, that's uh, 613, page 613, so a few pages over. Romans chapter 8. I love that we have these letters because we get so much insight into what's going on in the heart and, and mind of people like Paul. I'm going to start in verse 18. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time He's talking about those steps back. The sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now, we could stop right there for just a second and take inventory. This is what Paul is saying. I consider that the sufferings of this present time, what are your sufferings today? Are you sick? Have you had... Sickness in your body and you've been fighting and you're tired? Are you struggling in your relationships? Is your marriage falling apart? Fighting with your kids? The sufferings of this present time, struggles at your workplace, feeling defeated in your personal walk with God, what are, what are your sufferings? And, and here's what Paul says about him. He says, I, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing. With what? I was like, man, this better be good. This better be good, Paul, because what I'm dealing with is pretty huge. It's pretty, it's devastating. 
What does he say? Not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Wow. He begins to explain what is so wrong with the world and why do we suffer. Verse 19. For the creation waits with eager eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from the bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we eagerly wait for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. How many of us have sat in that moment of suffering, in that moment of brokenness, when everything in our world is crashing in around us and just thought, God, when do I get to see you face to face? When can I be done with this life? The the suffering is, is too much. The futility of this world is too much. The corruption of this life is just too much. We groan inwardly waiting for that experience when we, we step into heaven and we know our father and he knows us as a son. We groan, we wait. Let's skip down to verse 28 because I believe that this verse gives us insight to what God is up to in the midst of our suffering. Verse 28, he says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. God works everything for the good of those who love him and are called according to the purpose, his purpose. So what God is doing is he is working in and through our sufferings, the sufferings of this present age. As we groan for him, God is working these things for our good in our life because God has a purpose And we are called to that purpose. He says, for those who he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. See, God wants us to be like Jesus in order that Jesus, he may be the firstborn among many brothers. We're the brothers and sisters that he's talking about. And and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those who he, he called, he justified. And those who he justified, he glorified. See, God is unfolding a process in our life that begins with our predestination and continues with our calling and continues further with our justification and is consumed, is consummated by our glorification. And God is doing that in us and he's using every circumstance we face. And I don't know about you, but it's a little bit difficult for me to focus on all those good things and I just tend to focus on the trouble. But what Paul is sharing here is that even the trouble is a good thing and gives us an opportunity to look more like Jesus. So amazing. 
he continues, uh, I, want, I want you to uh, turn to Philippians 4. It's on page 637 of the Mosaic Bibles. He continues to build on this reality and exhorts us to set our mind on what's good. So first, to recognize that everything in our life can be used for the good and for the glory of God. For our good and for God's glory, everything can be used. But then he says this, he goes even further in Philippians 4 by saying, rejoice in the Lord when you're feeling good. No, you can then, because it's rejoice in the Lord always, always, always. And again, I will say it, rejoice. Let your reasonableness, I love that word. That's one of those words that you're like, is this English? I'm not sure. Uh, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. What Paul is saying is rejoice in the Lord always. Pour out your anxiety, pour out your frustrations to God and choose to think about all of the things that are good and just and pure and noble and commendable and praiseworthy. And the God of peace will be with you. The apostle Peter even takes this a step further, not only calling us to set our mind on what's good. I want you guys to turn to uh, 658. It's 1 Peter chapter 5. Peter shares with us that we do have an enemy in this life and he's going to try to get us focused on what he's doing rather than on what God is doing. And Peter's advice to us should be taken. First Peter 5, we'll start in verse 6. It says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. So God desires... For us to humble ourselves before him so that when it's right, he'll exalt us. Not for our glory, but for his. Casting all your anxieties on him. There it is again. Why? Because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Don't allow all of your circumstances to inebriate you to what God is doing. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. If you think that those steps back, that there is no uh, reason that it's happening other than, well, you know, it's just life. No, we have an adversary. And where I, I would definitely caution us not to think there's like a devil around every corner, you know, like, oh, I stubbed my toe, the devil's after me, you know. Not that. That's not what we're talking about. What we're saying is that when we're living our lives out on mission, we have an enemy. Now, if you're living your life not on mission, 
do you think the enemy is really too worried about you? No. In a war, does the general worry about the troops at home? No, only the ones on the battlefield. So when we are called to be his witnesses, when we are called to be on mission, know that we stand against a real adversary who hates God, who hates you and hates me and hates every person that God wants to bring to his name and hates every method in which he would use to do that. Satan hates us and he stands against us. But remember, God is mighty. It says, resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. What a great reminder for us when we suffer that we're not alone in our suffering. First, Jesus suffered a great deal. And Jesus promised, he said, no servant is above his master. If they hated me, they'll hate you too. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you too. If you're persecuted, if you're suffering, guess what? You're in really good company. Jesus, that's a pretty big deal. And not only that, the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you, there it is from Romans, has called you to his etor- eternal glory, the glorification in Christ, will himself, God will himself, restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. That's a promise. And to him, be the dominion forever. Amen. So what Paul unpacks for us in Romans is that we live in a broken and fallen world, but God is able to take that brokenness and fallenness, the circumstances of our lives, and use it for our good and for his glory. And he continues to explain to us through Philippians that we ought to and can focus our attention on God and what he's doing, the good and true and wonderful and, and right things, the pure things, the, the, the noble things, the praiseworthy things, we can focus our attention on those things and the God of peace will be with us. And the reality is, Peter explains to us, is that as we live on mission, we are standing against a real adversary and his name is the devil and he is our enemy and he does hate us and hate the gospel and hate the church and hate every person that God is redeeming. Yes, man, we can set our mind soberly, fix our mind on Jesus and resist the devil because our God is greater. Our God is stronger. Our God is higher than any other, including Satan. Charles Spurgeon said that the devil is God's devil. He doesn't get to do anything that God doesn't allow him to do. God is stronger than our enemy, the adversary. But the reality is we must know that he's there and resist him. Be sober and watchful and continue to fix our eyes 
on his mission. You know, this life, this missional life that we talk about here at Mosaic every single week, I mean, it's like a broken record, but a good broken record. It's hard. It's not easy. There are plenty of of preachers that will try to make it seem like Christianity is the best thing since the six-pack of Coke. it's, It's hard. Following Jesus is hard. Being his witness is hard. It's not easy. And there are steps back. And we're gonna struggle and we're gonna fail. You're gonna fail. But he never fails. Our God is greater than our shortcomings, than our circumstances. He's bigger than divorce. He's bigger than cancer. He's bigger than pornography. He's bigger than addiction. He's bigger than drugs or alcohol. God's bigger than your selfishness. God's bigger than your gluttony. He's bigger than your sour attitude. Our God is bigger than all of that. And he has handed us this mission. And it's our privilege to run with it. See, we're here in 2014 in Oakland, Florida. Some of us uh, live in Oakland. Most of us surrounding Oakland. And God has, has asked you, he's invited you to join with him in his mission on this planet. And that mission is to reconcile separated humans from the God who created them. And that's pretty amazing. And there are going to be times on that mission that it's just going to be hard. And we want to be honest with you about that. I want to try to make you feel warm and fuzzy inside, like it's great to follow Jesus. It's great to be a Florida Gator. It's not. (laughs) Go knows. I lost about half the room just now. I'm never going back to that church. (laughs) They let a Florida State criminal up there on the stage. (laughs) I got my girls right here, Abby and Maddie. They go to go to UF, and I love them like the redheaded stepchildren they are. (laughs) I try to disciple these students and help them go to Florida State, and some are they're just rebellious. It's like two steps forward and one step back. It's rough. It's rough. Man, I miss college football. You guys, here, here's the reality of, of this, this passage that we see where Paul and Barnabas, they, they go back through the difficult terrain of Galatia and they go to Antioch to share all the good things that God had done and that he had opened a door for the Gentiles. But not just any door, a door of faith, a gospel door. And missional life is hard. And a few weeks ago, we traveled to this scripture, but this scripture just grips my heart every single time because I'll tell you what, thinking about living on mission or or sharing my faith is a little daunting, right? How many of you guys like think preaching the gospel to your neighbor or your friend or your brother or your mom or your spouse is hard? Yeah, I do. It's difficult. But here's the beauty of sharing the gospel that we get to have. Philemon 1.6 Says, says it this way, Paul's writing, and he says, I, I pray, Philemon, that you may be active in sharing your faith. 
I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith. And, and there is where we kind of are like, you know, I'm not so sure. Sharing my faith sounds hard. I don't know, Paul. I mean, you saw Jesus on the road of Damascus. You got a one up on me, you know? But here's what he says. He says, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that, not, not when, so that. Okay, so he says, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you may know every good thing we have in Christ. And I think a lot of times we think we can start sharing our faith when we know every good thing we have in Christ. When we've got enough scriptures memorized, enough Bible verses in our back pocket, we've got enough Gideon Bibles ready to hand out or gospel tracts where it like scares the hell out of you somehow. We wanna, we wanna figure out a, a, a way to, to, to share our faith once we know enough stuff. But that's not at all what Paul said. He said, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you may know every good thing that we have in Christ. So, so what that says is that the result of sharing my faith is that I get to experience all the good things that I have in Christ. The Philippians 4 happens in me when I share my faith with my friend, neighbor, spouse, brother, sister, coworker. And this is the mission that we're invited into. And sometimes we're gonna look at our lives and say, I just don't know what to thank God for. I don't know what to, 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 to say God's doing in my life right now. I don't know how to look around and say that God is taking this experience and, and using it for my good and for his glory. I don't really know how to do that. Well, here's your option. Start to preach the gospel, the good news to yourself. Start with you. Preach that you've been brought from death to life. Preach that you have been brought out of darkness and into light. Preach that you've been uh, out of, instead of bondage, you've been moved to freedom. Preach the gospel that you've moved from, from despair to hope. Just preach the gospel to yourself and know every good thing that you have in Christ. Preach the gospel. You guys, when Paul and Barnabas went back to Antioch and, and shared what God was doing in Galatia, I know that, that it must have been hard for them to not necessarily help other people know all the hardship that they went through, that, it, that, that probably something in them thought, man, we deserve accolades, we deserve to, to be patted on the back for what we've done. But they weren't focused on that at all. All they were focused on is the great things that God was doing and the great things that he had done in opening a door of faith to the Gentiles. Here in 2014, I think a lot of times we, we, we have a hard time really identifying what it is that God is doing in our lives. I think we, I think we don't, take inventory of that very often. We don't very often decide to look at our lives and say, God, what are you doing in my circumstances that is for my good and for your glory? So when you came in today, there were note cards on your chairs and pens. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna take a couple of minutes together and I wanna, I wanna ask you to write down just a couple of things. On your note card, on one side, I want you to write one or two things that just stink about your life. And, and think currently, not like 30 years ago, you know, I grew up in a poor home or something, like not like that. Like 
this year, 2014, has been really hard because, write that down. And I want you to acknowledge the, the, the struggle. I want you to write one or two things down that have just been hard for you and acknowledge that struggle. And then after you do that, I want you to flip your card over and I want you to write two things you're just thankful for. Think about it like, the, like my girlfriend's car. You know, what's, what's wrong with the car and what's right with the car? I want you to think, what's wrong with life right now? What's off with life? What's a struggle? What's a persecution? And I want you on the back to write, what are you thankful for? And we've, we put celebrating 78 baptisms in the last year at Mosaic. We are thankful for that. And when you're done with that, I want you to go back maybe this afternoon or tonight before your head hits the pillow. I want you to go back and I want you to look at those two things in your life that just are terrible, that just stink. And I want you to ask this question, God, what are you doing through this circumstance in my life? How are you using that for my good and for your glory? So take a few minutes, write those two things that are terrible on the front of your card, and two things you're thankful for on the back. We're gonna have some worship music playing and I'm gonna give you just a few minutes to do this. Thirty more seconds. Two things that are a struggle, and a couple things that you're thankful for. And if you're finished, I just want you to to take just a moment and and apply God's word to these situations. These these two struggles, these two things that are just so hard. And recognize that Romans eight is true that the world we live in it's it's fallen and it's hard and there's brokenness. And we brought that into the world. God didn't. We did. 
And I want you to take time and, and ask God, God, what are you doing in this? What, what do you desire to do in me that will, will bring the image of Christ into a reality in my life? What are the things that, that you're doing through these circumstances that might open a door of faith to someone else? You know, in the book of Revelation, it says that, that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the power of our testimony. And so often, God allows us to, to experience circumstances in this life, the brokenness of this world. And as he works in us to heal us, as the gospel is applied to our hearts and our lives, so often we can use those experience, those experiences to to declare the good news to others. I'm gonna ask the worship team to, to come on out and we're, we're gonna take some time to just respond uh, to God in, in worship today. And, and as we do, I, I want you to ask God, God, what are you doing in my life right now? What are you doing in my life right now that may not feel good, but is for my good and for your glory Let's pray and then we're gonna respond and worship. God, I just thank you so much for the story of the book of Acts, how it unfolds for us. And, and we see that, that these apostles, these disciples, these first witnesses of yours, that they constantly looked, they, they constantly looked every single day of their lives for what you were doing in the moment whether it was well-fed or, or hungry, healthy or sick, free or in prison, somehow these men were able to fix their eyes on you and they were to experience, they were able to experience what you were doing in that moment. God, please help us learn to do the same. Here at Mosaic, I know there are so many stories of brokenness in people's lives of of hardship of sickness of trial of brokenness of death god the world we live in we know it's broken but god you are unfolding a story in the midst of it all god i pray that you would help us to see that and that as we engage with you on mission that you would work all things together for our good and for your glory, and that we may see that and rejoice in it. That's the, the cry of our heart tonight, today, God. And we love you so much. We worship you now in Jesus' name.